0: Friends, let me see by a raise of hands this morning how many of you like to watch movies that are based on a true story. Raise your hand if you like to watch movies that are based on a true story. Yeah, I'm with you. I think out of all the movies that get produced and uh, pushed out by Hollywood today, the ones that I enjoy the most are the ones based on true life events. You know, the ones that feature uh, real people in, in real places going through real things that actually happened. You know, family, even though movies that are based on real life events, even though they will always be different because of their unique plot lines and their unique scenarios and situations, there is something that's, that's very common in all of those movies that are based on a true story and that is the way that directors of those true stories will typically conclude their films with what is called an epilogue an epilogue and an epilogue is something that typically features the real photographs or a few sentences there on the black screen at the end of the movie describing how the how the lives of the main characters uh, ultimately turned out, or, or how these characters moved forward after the events that were depicted there in the film. For instance, family, I was thinking this week about the epilogue that appears at the end of this movie. Many of you have heard of it called Captain Phillips. Uh, this was a movie that came out in 2013 of course the star of that film was was actor Tom Hanks the movie came out in 2013 but it was actually a true story of something that took place back in 2009 this was a true story of how Somali pirates off the coast of Africa went and captured the the cargo ship the Maersk Alabama and these Somali pirates stormed this cargo ship and they take captive, they take hostage the captain of that ship whose name was Richard Phillips. Well, it's a very exciting movie. It's full of drama. It's full of intrigue and action and adventure. But the movie closes with an epilogue, a very brief epilogue that kind of tells us what happened, what happened after the fact. Uh, The movie closes with an epilogue that tells us these words, Captain Richard Phillips was reunited with his family. The leader of the pirates was sentenced to 33 years in prison, and in only one year's time, in 2010, Captain Phillips returned to sea. Christian friends, you and I are opening our Bibles today to John chapter 21, and it's very interesting how the Gospel of John also closes with an epilogue there is an epilogue where John, the writer, uses the final strokes of his pen to tie up a number of loose ends related to the story of Jesus, to his disciples, and most especially, the apostle Peter, that disciple who had so callously and so decisively denied Jesus three times on that Thursday evening. Now, friends, you remember this, of course, as you read the Gospels. The night that Jesus was captured, the night he was arrested there on Thursday evening in the garden, the disciples' world came crashing down around them. Jesus, their beloved master, was taken into custody, and the disciples scatter. They flee out into the night, and they all go into hiding. They're just terrified that something terrible is going to happen to them, just as something terrible is unfolding on Jesus. But as we continue to read the gospel narratives, we see that Peter has the most devastating experience of all the disciples. We get to John chapter 18, and there we read how Peter publicly denies Jesus three times. Three times, Peter publicly distances himself from having any association with Jesus whatsoever. In fact, Peter is so bold in denying Jesus that he even resorts to cursing. He resorts to swearing that he never knew Jesus at all. Well, as you continue to read the narratives of the Gospel, in chapter 20 of John, Peter makes an appearance at the empty tomb. He comes in, he marvels seeing the linen wrappings lying there. He sees the face napkin off to the side. Uh, then we read how Peter is present there in the upper room when Jesus appears to his disciples. But you know what? In none of those scenes do we ever get any indication of Peter's heart, his thoughts, or his words. So as the Gospel of John draws to a close there in John 21, people who are careful readers of John's Gospel are hanging with a question. The careful readers of the Gospel of John are asking, what happens to Peter? What happened to him? Were his, were his failures final? Were his, uh, were his denials ultimately fatal to his discipleship? Well, friends, these final verses of John chapter 21 are so incredibly encouraging. I mean, these are such amazing verses. As we watch the Lord Jesus restore Peter to full service as an apostle, and he even calls Peter back to a full devotion as a disciple. So, family, we're going to dig into this incredible text now, and we want to try to answer this question. How does this great restoration unfold? And for Christians like us living here in the present day, what can you and I learn from this text about passionately pursuing a full devotion to Jesus Christ? Well, believers, we want to step through this amazing text this morning, and we want to talk together about about three insights, three insights on, on what it means to be a follower of Jesus with full devotion. So I hope you'll take some notes. I hope you'll jot some of these thoughts down. I want you to notice, first of all, number one, Jesus calls you to full devotion, number one, in spite of past failures. Jesus calls you to full devotion in spite of past failures. Would you look with me at God's Word, John chapter 21? And we're picking up the text here from John's pen. Again, this is an epilogue. This last chapter is really the the tying up of all the loose ends. Beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now, friends, before we spend some time here unpacking and making some observations and some applications here from, from Peter's restoration, I think it's important that you and I just pause here quickly and let's just remember uh, and observe the context, the greater context of what's happening here. Following the Passover following the feast of unleavened bread the disciples returned back up from jerusalem they traveled north again back up to the region of the sea of galilee and they're there waiting remember jesus had told them i'm going to appear to you in the galilee region and even the angel had affirmed that on resurrection sunday morning well why they are waiting there by the sea of galilee peter who was for years a fisherman by trade peter says to the rest I'm going fishing, and they join him. Now the question is, why did they go fishing? Well, we can't say for sure. Maybe they were short on cash, and they needed to go make a catch just to have some more income, or maybe, quite simply, they were hungry. They were hungry, and they decided to go fishing. Well, after a long night, and typically fishermen did fishing overnight, because that's when the fish would come closer to the surface where they could be caught by those hand-thrown nets. They spend all night fishing nothing gets caught but then in the morning Jesus shows up there on the shoreline and Jesus does this mind-boggling miracle helping the disciples to catch as John writes it down he even remembered the number a hundred and fifty three fish in one pool while the disciples finally all make it to land they discover that Jesus has already begun to prepare breakfast for them and friends it's here on the rocky shores of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus sets out to restore this man that he had nicknamed the rock, Simon Peter. Now, look at verse 15 with me. Jesus begins this amazing conversation with Peter, and he asks Peter, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, down through the centuries, there have been... lot of scholar a lot of scholars a lot of theologians who have raised questions about what is Jesus referring to with this word these do you love me more than these what is the these that Jesus has in mind and we're not a hundred percent sure because the text isn't explicit this word these could actually be in reference to up to three different things I mean, maybe Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these fish? In other words, do you love me more than the fish and the fishing boats and the nets? In other words, Jesus is asking, Peter, do you love me more than you love the fishing vocation? Maybe it means that. Secondly, it could mean this. Peter, do you love me more than you love these other disciples? Do you love me... More than you love these other disciples. Maybe that's what it means, the these. Or thirdly, it could mean this. Peter, do you love me more than all these other disciples love me? Do you love me more than all these other disciples love me? Now, friends, again, I'm telling you, we can't be dogmatic here. We can't say this is exactly what it means because the text isn't explicit we can't be dogmatic but friends in my opinion i think that third uh i think that third option fits best i think that seems to fit here where jesus says peter do you love me more than these other disciples do you know that's an interesting question from jesus lips when you stop to remember that the last time that jesus was with his disciples they were in the upper room. And in the upper room, when Jesus was there, you will remember Peter was, shall we say, boastful. He was a little bombastic, a little boastful. Jesus had given this prediction that that they were about to be scattered. They were going to flee. They were going to turn on Jesus. And do you remember what Peter said that night? Peter said in the group, not me, Lord. Not me. No way. Lord, I don't know what these other guys are going to do, but not me. I will not flee. I'm going to follow you to the very end. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be so devoted to you. I, I love you so much, Lord. I don't know what the rest of these guys will do, but I'll even die with you. Well, friends, we know how that turned out, don't we? We know how things went Thursday night when the Disciples scattered, and Jesus gets captured. Peter, that same night, openly denies Jesus. He denies Him three times. He denies that he never knew Jesus, and he he denied Him loudly. He denied Him boldly. He denied Jesus with curses and swears. So it seems to me that Jesus, in this question, Peter, do you love me more than... The rest of these disciples? You know, it seems to me that in this moment Jesus is acknowledging that those denials happened. Those denials really happened. But you know what, friends, it's obvious, isn't it? By this point, it seems that Peter has been humbled, and the brashness is gone, and the, the boasting has evaporated. So Peter asks, or excuse me, Jesus asks Peter this question. Do you love me? And so Peter responds. He says, yes, Lord, yes. You you know that I love you. Well, you know what, friends, for for you and for me, with with being able to perceive in that moment, for you and me, if we were there, if Jesus said that to us, and and we could see the humbleness of Peter's heart, if if we could sense the obvious contrition, that's coming across in his words. You know, regular folks like you and me, we might be satisfied with that answer. That might be good enough for people like us. But did you notice, friends, two more times, two more times in the next few verses, Jesus repeats the question again and again, asking Peter, Do you love me? And by the third time we read in the text, Peter is starting to get upset this is this is bothering him he's distraught I mean Peter has to be thinking to himself what is what's going on here what's going on here does Jesus does Jesus not believe me does Jesus not think I'm being sincere does he does he think I'm not earnest finally did you notice what happens by the third time by the third time Peter gets asked this question Peter do you love me Peter finally just he surrenders he gives up he says Lord you know all things I know that you know all things you know everything about me you know me you know me inside and out you know my heart you know my motivations you know my feelings Lord you you know that I really do love you well friends I think you and I can understand why I think we can understand can not we why it was that Jesus asked this same question three times He's getting Peter to restate and to reaffirm his love for Jesus. And Jesus knew this needed to happen. If Peter was going to be reinstated back to the the role of an apostle, if he was going to come back into a a service of, of ministry, this is something that Peter needed to experience. I wonder how many of you, as you've stood there at your kitchen sink, and there before you in the dishwater is a really greasy pan and you're working on it, and you're scrubbing it, and you know it's going to take a little elbow grease to get this thing clean. So you scrub, and you scrub, and you lather it up with the Dawn dish detergent because you're trying to break down the meat. You're trying to break down the grease. And then then you move the sink head over, and you start to rinse it, and you rinse it once, and you look, and you say no. and you, You rinse it again, and you say still not cleansed. Then you rinse it a third time, and you say, okay, it's clean. You know, that's kind of the picture that I have in mind here. That's what I'm being reminded of here. This, This threefold action of Jesus asking Peter, three times, do you love me? Three times, Jesus had been denied by Peter. And so now Jesus asks the question three times, do you love me? And this is the means by which Peter is being restored. Three times now, Peter reaffirms his love and his devotion to Jesus and now... Jesus restores him. Now, family, I want you to notice something here. Did you notice? After each one of those questions, three times Jesus asks, do you love me? Three times Peter says, yes, Lord, I do love you. And did you notice in all three of those occasions, Jesus then commands Peter to embrace the all-important work of leading and feeding and shepherding his people. Well, Christian friends, I sure hope you don't miss the amazing display of grace that's going on here. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to imagine if someone turned their back on you and denied you three times publicly. Someone turned their back on you. Somebody bailed on you and they did it publicly, not once or twice, three times They turn their back on you. I think most of us, if we had been turned on like that with someone so close to us, with those kinds of devastating denials, most of us would have written that person off. That's it. We're done. Write that person off. Turn the page on them. Get lost. Get out of my life. But do you see the amazing grace of Jesus Christ here? What incredible grace he shows to Peter what amazing forgiveness he, he brings Peter back he restores him back to ministry service and back to leadership amongst the Apostles despite those failings despite his denials Peter still mattered to Jesus Peter still had value Jesus knew that there was still a future for Peter there were things that Jesus wanted Peter to accomplish And so he forgives Peter, and he restores Peter, and he brings Peter back to this commitment of a renewed devotion. Now friends, I want you to think about this application for your Christian life this morning. Here's a wonderful application that finds immediate relevance in your Christian life. You know, maybe you look back over your own life, and and maybe as you look backwards, you see where you experience some, some terrible sin. Maybe it was some awful setback. Maybe it was a a shameful choice. Maybe some very discouraging set of circumstances that that seems to have hung over your life like the smog hangs around San Francisco Bay. Maybe those dark clouds of whatever that sinful circumstance was just kind of hangs over you. And it almost seems to follow you wherever you go. Maybe it was 20 years ago that this happened. Who knows, maybe it was two weeks ago. And the dark clouds of that choice, of that sin, just keep hanging over you. Friends, when we look at this text today, you and I as Christians, we find such great encouragement here. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ is so glorious, so wonderful. Where sin abounds... Jesus' grace super abounds. This is a great text that reminds you, Christian, Jesus still loves you. You're still His. You still belong to Him. He still loves you. He doesn't want your failures to set you back permanently. What Jesus does want from you, Christian friend, is He wants you to be Honest about those sins or those failures or those bad choices. He wants you to be honest about them. He wants you to be humble about them, to show contrition about them, but then he wants you to embrace his forgiveness. He forgives you. He loves you. So he wants you to embrace his forgiveness and then what? Then he wants you to recommit. To recommit with a passionate, full heart of devotion. To him. Listen, friends, when you belong to Jesus, your sins are not fatal and your mistakes are not final. Through the forgiveness of Jesus, you can be cleansed and then you can re engage your commitment, and Jesus is going to launch you into a new chapter of devoted service unto him. You know, friends, There's someone amazing in the Old Testament Scriptures who had such a devastating sin, and yet God continued to use him in amazing ways. It was King David. And you remember David's story in the wake of his great sin with Bathsheba? David goes on to write these words in Psalm 51. They're in your sermon notes today. In Psalm 51, David writes this, "...have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions." Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Then I will teach sinners your ways and sinners will return to you. Christian friend, Jesus Christ wants you to lay whatever those sins are, whatever that cloud is that's hanging over you, Jesus wants you to bring that and lay it at his feet. He wants you to ask for his forgiveness and then he wants you to get back to serving Him with a full devotion. Just like Peter, he's got something for you to do, Christian friend. He's calling you back to a full commitment and a full devotion. Maybe you're listening to this message today and you aren't a Christian. If you aren't a Christian, well, I hope this text would be a great demonstration to you of what a gracious and forgiving Savior Jesus is. So many people today who are not Christians, they they tell themselves, my sins are too great. They say, you don't know what I've done. My my past is just too ugly. Friend, but look at this text. If, If Jesus has the power to forgive Peter's denials, then he can surely forgive whatever cloud is weighing on you. Whatever sins you may be carrying around, friend, Jesus has enough grace to forgive you, whether your sins may be present or past. So, friend, come to Jesus Christ today. Come humbly. Come with a humble heart. Acknowledge your sins and then accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers to you. Well, friends, as we watch Peter have this Interaction, this morning conversation with the risen Lord, this is an amazing scene. Peter calls believers to a full devotion in in spite of past failures. But then secondly, Jesus calls us to a full devotion, number two, in spite of future adversities. Jesus calls us to a full devotion in spite of future adversities. Look at our text in verse 18. Look at how Jesus continues the conversation with Peter. Jesus is the speaker in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Christian friends, a wise man once said, Knowing too much of your future is never a good thing. Knowing too much of your future is never a good thing. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but I tell you, I've thought about it. And I'm very grateful, I'm extremely grateful that God does not give us all of the finer details of where our lives are going to be five years from now, or 15 years from now, or even 50 years from now. I'm thankful that in this regard, even though I am made in His image, I am thankful that I am not omniscient. And you should be thankful, too, that you're not omniscient. Friend, I want you to stop and think about it for a moment. If you knew with 100% certainty on which day precisely you were going to die, and you knew at the exact moment that you were going to die, the moment that your physical body would succumb to death, and that you knew the exact reason and the exact means by which you would die, if you knew all of those details, let me ask you, what would that do to you mentally? Mentally. What would that do to you mentally? How difficult would it be for you to carry that knowledge around from day to day as each day drew closer and closer until that exact day came to pass? Well, friends, here on this morning, when Peter is restored to useful service, Jesus makes a prophecy about Peter's death. Just a moment ago, Peter made the triple commitment, right? The triple commitment, he reaffirms three times his love and his devotion to Jesus. And yes, with great forgiveness and great grace, Jesus restores Peter. He is restored. He is forgiven. Ah, but now in verses 18 and 19. Now, Peter is going to get a glimpse into what that love and that devotion is going to cost him. Three times, Peter affirms his love, his devotion to to Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And now Jesus says, now let me tell you what that love is going to cost. Verse 18, look at it. Some of your Bibles say, truly, truly, some translations have it as most assuredly. Jesus says, when you were a young guy, when you were a young man, you used to dress yourself, picked out your own clothes, you went where you want you walked where you wanted to walk. You made your own decisions. You did what you wanted. But Jesus says, there's a day coming. You're going to be an old man. And you're going to stretch out your hands. And another person is going to dress you. And another person is going to carry you where you do not want to go. Now, friends, at first glance, we would ask this question, what is Jesus alluding to here? I mean, is, is Jesus talking about Peter becoming a senior citizen I mean is that what this is about he's gonna become an old man in the nursing home and and one day somebody's gonna have to walk next to Peter and and help him stretch out his hands to grab the walker somebody's gonna have to help you when you use a cane is that what Jesus is speaking about not at all look at verse 19 this he said to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God. You see, friends, back in the 1st century, this little phrase, stretch out your hands, was a phrase that had to do with crucifixion. Stretch out your hands. Everybody in the 1st century knew what that meant. Just like in the 21st century, if you and I are talking about some brutal killer, if you and I were talking about some awful rapist, if we were talking about a mass murderer and, you, and I said to you, that guy should get the needle. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We're not talking about that guy getting an insulin injection. We're not talking about that guy uh, getting an inoculation for measles. No, you understand what that phrase means. Somebody should get the needle. That means, that means lethal injection. The injection that leads to death. Well, friends, isn't this fascinating? Here, the sun is rising. It's morning. The sun is rising on the morning of Peter's restoration. And Jesus predicts the day that the sun will go down on Peter's life, the day that he will die. It will be by crucifixion. Now, most Bible scholars are in agreement that this conversation happens approximately 30 years before Peter does, in fact, ultimately get crucified by the Roman Empire. Peter ultimately dies at the hands of the Emperor Nero. Now, many of you perhaps have never thought, or maybe you've never even considered it before, the most important Roman Catholic Church in the world is in Rome. And the most prestigious Catholic Church in the world in Rome is called St. Peter's Basilica. And why is it given the name of Peter? Well, it's because history shows us that Peter, who was the leader of the apostles, Peter had an extended ministry of preaching and leading Christians in Rome. And it was there in Rome where Peter ultimately dies. And he died by crucifixion. Now, we don't have a lot of documentation about this, But church tradition tells us that Peter not only was crucified, but that Peter was crucified upside down. So his head was down and his feet were sticking up as he was crucified. And that upside down crucifixion wasn't Rome's idea, it was Peter's. And tradition says that Peter felt so unworthy to die in a similar way to Jesus that he refused to be crucified right side up. That's the way Jesus died. And Peter felt, I don't even deserve that. And so church tradition says that Peter was crucified head down, upside down on the cross. But nevertheless, Jesus' prediction for Peter's death comes true. He did die ultimately by crucifixion. But family, even though this prophecy of Jesus, I want you to think about how that prophecy must have jolted Peter. I mean, how did that hit his heart? To hear, you're going to die someday by crucifixion. That must have jolted him. But don't miss what comes next. In verse 20, look at it again. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Believers, you need to let those words soak in. Here's Peter. He hears from the lips of Jesus this hard truth about how he's going to die and what this life of a full devotion to Jesus, what that kind of love, what that commitment is ultimately gonna cost him. And yet Jesus speaks this command again, follow me. Christians, what a challenge this should be for every single one of our hearts here this morning. Listen, Christians, let's let's be honest. This is a broken planet we're walking around on. This is not paradise. All right, this, this is tough. This is tough stuff to live on this planet today. The challenges, the adversities, the struggles, the pains. As Christians, we're not exempt from it. We're here on this planet. It's been so touched by sin, corruption, disease, death, war, poverty, drugs, crime, cancer. And as Christians, we're not exempt. Look, Christians get shot. Christians get killed. Christians get cancer. Christians get heart attacks. Christians lose all their property to fires. Christians battle on against disease, sickness, even addictions. Look, adversity is all around you. Adversity is gonna touch you. It's inescapable. You don't want it and I don't want it, but adversity is gonna touch your life for as long as you're on this planet. And guess what? One day you die. But Christian friend, can I tell you this? Whatever the future problems may be, whatever the persecutions, whatever the pains, whatever the sicknesses, whatever the issues are on the future horizon for you, Jesus commands you to follow Him wholeheartedly. Follow Him. Follow Him with a zealous devotion. You know I'm reminded of that famous verse that Jesus told his disciples there in the upper room, in John 16 verse3, "I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." So believer, let me ask you today, are you willing to embrace? And obey Christ's command are you willing to obey this call to a full devotion having faith that Jesus is in charge of your future no matter what that future may be friends you want to be encouraged today Peter knew what was coming and he charged ahead Jesus said follow me Peter and guess what he did he did Peter knew what was coming and yet he didn't shrink from the challenge. Peter followed Jesus till his last breath. He gave everything to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Peter obeyed. He fed the sheep. He led the sheep, and he impacted his world for Jesus Christ. Christian friend, listen, that's exactly what Jesus wants from you. Well, we're watching Peter get restored here along the Sea of Galilee. Jesus calls you to a full devotion in spite of past failures and in spite of future adversities. But then thirdly, Jesus calls every Christian to a full devotion. Number three, in spite of present company. Number three, in spite of present company. Look at verse 20 in our text. Verse 20, we'll read down to verse 23. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, family, as we're watching this very dramatic conversation unfold between Jesus and Peter. You know, friends, it seems to me, as you put the details together, it seems to me that this interaction between Jesus and Peter it seems that it started around the fire with all the rest of the disciples present at the conclusion of this breakfast but then as the discussion continues it seems as if Jesus and Peter stood up and and they began to walk with each other down the shoreline somewhat separated from the rest of the disciples and the reason I say I think that's what's happening here is because of verse 20 Scripture says, as Peter and Jesus were talking, look what the scripture says. Peter turns and saw another disciple following them. Well, who is this disciple that's kind of walking behind and maybe listening a little bit and just seeing what are they, what are they doing? Who was that disciple who followed? Well, the, John the writer describes this follower. Did you see it there as the disciple whom Jesus loved? The one who had been reclining they're closest to Jesus at the supper and the one who had said to Jesus who's going to betray you well who was that the answer is it was John it's the same John who's the writer of this gospel now as you read through the gospel of John you will see this kind of thing happen many times John the last thing that John wants to do is inject his name or himself in the story He wrote this gospel to be all about Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Believe on Jesus. John doesn't want to ever get his name or his story in the way of Jesus. So throughout the gospel of John, whenever John has to include himself in the story, he never lists his own name. He always writes of himself. His preference is to write of himself in the second person or the third person. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, look at verse 21. Jesus makes this jolting prediction to Peter about his future, about his demise, about his death by crucifixion. And Peter, out of the corner of his eye, sees they're being followed. They're being followed by John. John's kind of trailing behind them. And so there in the text in verse 21, Peter turns and makes a motion to John and says to Jesus, Well, Lord, what about him? What about him? Look at verse 22. Look at this. Jesus says, if it is my will that John stays alive until my second coming, what concern is that of yours, Peter? I'm not talking about John, Peter. I'm talking about you. You follow me. Now, did you notice? John's the writer. Did you see that little side note he adds in verse 23? John gives us this little notation that as a result of this statement by Jesus, many of the first century Christians, many of the early believers, jumped the gun. And they automatically started to spread this rumor that Jesus had said that John was going to never die. John is going to stay alive until Jesus comes back. But John has to explain, no, that's, that's not what Jesus said. And that's not what Jesus meant. But Christian friend, here's the main point. Here's the main point for us, okay? Don't you miss this, Christian. Isn't it fascinating, believers, how you and I always get so distracted, we always get so consumed with other people. With other people. This is something that's constantly happening in my house right now, especially at my, my dinner table. I've got two little ones. I've got a kindergartner in Carter, and I have a pre-K in Hadley. And every day, and especially at dinner table, Hadley says to me, Dad, Dad, Carter isn't eating his meat. She's on the opposite end of the table from him. Dad, Carter isn't eating his meat. And what do you think I say as a dad? I say, Hadley... Quit worrying about Carter's meat. You need to eat your meat. Now, I look on this audience before me, and you're smiling, and you find that funny, but how many Christian adults do the same thing? Peter's doing it right here. And you and I are just like him. We're constantly looking at other people, We're evaluating what other people have, what I don't have compared with what others might have. Maybe something good or some blessing comes into the life of some other Christian and you say, Oh, look what they got. Lord, why can't, why can't that happen to me? Why can't you bring something good like that into my life? Or maybe something difficult comes your way. Maybe some challenge or some adversity comes your way. And then you look at others who don't have what you have received, and you say, Lord, why has this always happened to me? Why doesn't it happen to those other people? Friend, isn't it true? You and I are constantly comparing with others. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the blessings or the burdens, we're always looking around. We're always comparing ourselves with others. But if Jesus was here... And if Jesus was standing right there next to you, he'd say, enough. Enough of this nonsense. What happens to that other Christian or what happens to that other family is not your concern. You need to follow me. You follow me. You need to do what I'm telling you to do. In your notes, I gave you a great quote from Dr. R.C. Sproul. R.C. said this, the Lord has jobs for each of us to do. And what others do is ultimately none of our business. Each of us must do what God has given him or her to do and fulfill the mandate of Christ. That's exactly right. Just last night, before I closed my eyes and sleep, I was reading my little devotional Bible and reading this text, and I saw Dr. Charles Stanley wrote these words. We are not to compare. We are not to compete. We are to obey. So believer, I want you to be real honest with yourself right now. Christian friend, are you constantly peppering God with questions about other people? Are you guilty, Christian, of living your life in comparison mode? Are you constantly looking over your shoulders at someone else? Christian, I'm asking, is everything a grievance with you? Is everything a grievance because of what you see in that other person, or that church friend, or that Christian family, or that coworker, or that family member? Do you walk around, is everything a grievance with you because you're constantly comparing with others? Or are you giving your very best to follow Jesus? Are you giving your true devotion to serve Jesus wholeheartedly with where you are and with who you are. Christian friend, enough of the comparisons. Stop worrying about present company and set your eyes on pleasing and obeying Jesus. Jesus says to you, just like he said to Peter, you follow me. Family, today is the Sunday after Easter, so I thought that this section from John 21 would be such a tremendous encouragement to our hearts as we, as we watch the resurrected Lord come alongside of Simon Peter and do this incredible work of restoration. You know, family, this, this chapter is so amazing because, because just like a good movie, John knew that an epilogue was needed. And John gives us this brief epilogue that that is designed to tie up some of those loose ends in his narratives. Tying up the loose ends about Jesus and the disciples, but especially tying up the story about Simon Peter. So believers, as we draw to a close, I hope that you'll come away from this text. I hope you come away encouraged. I hope you come away strengthened in your faith. But Christian, above all, I hope you come away from this text motivated, motivated, Motivated to be a passionate Christian. To have a full devotion to serve Jesus Christ. Friends, did you notice? In all three of those sections we studied this morning, Jesus basically repeats the same command. It's essentially the same command three times over. Three times Jesus is just driving this main point home to Peter's heart. Peter. Follow through on my assignment. Peter, follow me. Peter, you follow me. Christian friend, that's the application that should be made to your heart today. Jesus calls you and He calls me to a full devotion in spite of past failures, in spite of future adversities, and in spite of present company. So believer... Hear the words of Jesus today and obey them. You follow me. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.